Okay, good morning, ECF. This is our first sermon um, recorded uh, at home. Uh, it's day seven of lockdown, I think. For me, it's, it's Thursday. I know many of you will be watching this on Sunday. Um, it's day seven of lockdown, and we're having to do these recordings now from home. So this is not a very professional setup. It's just me in my dining room. Um, Amy's helped me set up with some books and my laptop and stuff. So hopefully uh, it's, it comes across all right. So the sermon for today, uh, I've entitled... Um, God is with us. So that's the idea. And I think it's very fitting now to remember that God actually is with us in a very real sense. So we're going to see what Scripture has to say about that. Um, in thinking about what line to take here and how it's presented in Scripture, I couldn't help but think that a good way to start was the, the prophecy in Isaiah that we read and sing about every Christmas time. Isaiah chapter 7. God with us, right? Emmanuel. So let's just start with that text. It's Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. The prophet Isaiah declares, The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. That's one of the names for Jesus. This was a prophecy of the coming Messiah, of Jesus. His name was Jesus, but he was also Emmanuel, which meant, in the Hebrew, it means God with us. So, in what sense is God with us? Well, we know that God the Father sent God the Son to be born a man so that he could live a sinless life and go to the cross to bear our sins, to be punished by God for our sins, to rise again three days later, conquering sin and death forever. And we put trust in, in, in that action, in that person, Jesus Christ, and what he did on the cross for our salvation. So God is with us in the sense that God came down to earth for us. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave us his one and only son, and that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So that's a very real sense in which God is with us, because God came down to earth for us. And I always, I always saw Emmanuel, the term God with us, the name for Jesus, as meaning simply that. But then I realized it's worth more than that. Emmanuel, God with us, is not just because God the Father sent Jesus Christ to earth to be born a man, to show us the way, to die on the, sin, uh, die on the, on the cross for our sins, but also because God is with us now. He has changed the way in which he operates with his people. Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us, because he is here now. He wasn't just here 2,000 years ago. He's here now. He's here with us today. He's in us and he works through us. And he is a comfort to us in April 2020 during lockdown. Right? This, in, in amidst this uncertainty of the coronavirus mayhem, of everything we're reading on the news, we can take true comfort in Emmanuel, God with us. Remember the Great Commission two weeks ago. I started uh, the message uh, two weeks ago with, with Matthew 28 from uh, verse 16, which is the Great Commission. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some still doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
And then the last verse, and surely, Jesus says, and surely I am with you to the very end of the age. Jesus is called Emmanuel, God with us, because he came to earth. God became a man, but also because God, through Jesus Christ, is in us. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is truly in us in a way that is supernatural. And it's a great promise of comfort in the scriptures. So this morning I want to just develop that idea and apply it to our lives. So I want to do it in two senses. There's two senses of Emmanuel. One is Jesus promises to be with us always, as we've just read in the Great Commission. But also, secondly, that God is everywhere at all times which is what we call God's attribute of omnipresence. Only God has this attribute. It's a godly attribute. He is omnipresent. Now, omni means all, and presence is present. So God is all present. He's everywhere at all times. 100% of God is everywhere at all times. Um, it just reminds me, if you haven't watched the bloopers from last, from last week's announcements, Jim's bloopers that uh, Kieran went and made sure we saw at the end of the announcements, please make sure you go and do that. Um, Jim struggled to pronounce, it's really, it, it's difficult sometimes to pronounce things when you're just looking at a camera, and he had to pronounce um, omniscience, which is God's all-knowing, his, his attribute of being all-knowing. Omnipresence is God being present everywhere, and omnipotence the three omnis. Omnipotence is God being all-powerful. So God is omnipotent, He is omniscience, and today we're seeing He's omnipresent, meaning He's always fully present everywhere. So these two concepts I'd like to unpack. So the first one is the idea in Scripture, it's a promise actually from Jesus our Savior, that He will be with us always, and it's for us to take comfort in. So in what sense is Jesus with us, and how can we take comfort from that today? Well, last week, Jim mentioned Psalm 34 again. The week before that, I, I, I suggested that we all read Psalm and meditate and pray over Psalm 34. So Psalm 34 has been a common theme over the last few weeks. And verse 8 has, is a beautiful, it's a beautiful verse. It says, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. So we're actually called upon to taste and see that the Lord is good. So this idea of Jesus being with us and God being with us is something that is experiential. It's something that comforts us. It's not just head knowledge. It affects our heart. It affects the way we should live. We need to taste and see the Emmanuel. And, and, and that's the idea. So I believe that this is closely linked in Scripture with our willingness to trust Jesus and to trust God. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Do you believe that the Scriptures are God's word and instruction for us? Do you believe Christ died for you and rose again conquering sin so that when you put your faith in Him, you will have eternal life? Do you believe that Jesus has prepared a place with God the Father for us? For all eternity. Do you believe that? Well, if you do believe those things, we need to, we've got a promise of experiencing comfort in this world, in the trials, in the, in the suffering, in the difficult circumstances. We have a great promise of comfort if we trust in God and trust in those truths. For example, Jesus said in John 14, 23, John chapter 14, verse 23, 
Anyone who loves me, Jesus says, will obey my teaching. My Father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. Let's just break that down. Jesus says, anyone who loves me obeys my teaching. If you love Jesus Christ and you believe in who he is and what he's done, we need to obey him. But the Father will then love us. God the Father loves the church, loves Christians in a true sense. And then it says, and we will come to them. Who's we? Jesus Christ, God the Son, and God the Father is the we in this verse. And we will come to them and make our home with them. How beautiful is that? This is Jesus promising that if we trust in Him and in God the Father, both of them, God the Father and God the Son, make their home with us. So right now, this morning, in your home, remember God the Father and God the Son are with you. But also God the Holy Spirit, because we know that every Christian receives the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when they come to faith in Christ. So we actually have God, the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, making their home in and through us. And we can take comfort from that this morning. Paul took comfort from this in Galatians chapter 2. He said, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Paul saw that Christ was in him, and his purpose in life was actually living the crucified life, living the sacrificial life because of who he was in Christ, and that Christ was in him, the Emmanuel, the God with us. So Christ lives in you this morning, and that's a great promise. Jesus says, we will come to you and make our home with you. That's, that's a great promise in Scripture. So two weeks ago, I spoke about Philippians chapter 4, uh, verses 4 to 7. And Jim actually brought that up again in announcements last week. Uh, so this Philippians chapter 4 and Psalm 34 are two passages that, I mean, it's not by chance. I mean, the Lord has brought those two passages to the fore for us. ECF in these times, in these few weeks. So let's go back to Philippians chapter 4 and, and, and extract those promises afresh. So, Philippians 4, I think we know it well now, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about any, anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. That's how we should be acting in this time. Verse 7, a great promise, beautiful promise, something we can take comfort in, that we can pray over, that we need to remind ourselves of daily. Verse 7, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and your minds in Christ Jesus. What a beautiful verse. If we lean on God with our struggles and our needs and our fears, if we bring them to Him with rejoicing, thanksgiving, gentleness, and we present them to the Lord, the peace of God, we'll get real peace, and which transcends our way to understand. How are we getting peace? It transcends understanding. It's not something we can rationally explain. It's a supernatural taste and see that the Lord is good. It is a transcending of our understanding that the God the Father and God the Son and the Holy Spirit who are making their home in us are guarding their hearts, our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It's really quite amazing when you think of it that way. Psalm 34 again. Let's go back to Psalm 34, but let's look at verse 15 this time. 
Verse 15 in Psalm 34 says, The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their cry. ECF, we need to trust Scripture now more than ever. It's lonely for many of us being locked away in our homes. It's lonely that we're separated from family. It's lonely when we're separated from friends. And it's okay to feel that loneliness. Some of us are not on their own. I, I, it's, I, there's two in my house. There's Amy and me. But it's still lonely. But some of, some of us have our family. There's three of us. There's four people. There's six people locked up in the house. Maybe it's less lonely, but you can still struggle with loneliness, even if you have your kids in the house. But maybe there are other emotional struggles. There's, there's boredom. There's cabin fever. In the many ways that that presents, you know, that frustration. Maybe you're simply feeling frustrated on day 7 or day 9 or day 10 of lockdown. Our emotions can get the better of us. And, and I think that's why we need to come back to Scripture to recheck our emotions at the moment. They can be an, a healthy pathway to discontentment and even depression. Um, and all kinds of unhealthy attitudes if we let them. And scripture here is reminding us that we mustn't be anxious, that we need to trust in, the, in God, and that we'll have the supernatural peace that comes from our trust in Him. One practical thing we can actually do, and I know we've been reminded about it, and thank you to the elders for suggesting practical ways to do this, such as setting, setting up those five groups, and we have WhatsApp groups. And, but one practical thing we can do is, is use this technology at our disposal. You know, a phone call, a Skype, a WhatsApp, a text message, to just encourage the people around us, people in our church particularly. Every time you give an encouragement, you share a joke, you, you ask how someone is, you, you, you shine a little bit of Christ, you shine some encouragement, and you shine, shine some light into the, their day. And we need to be encouraged to do that. I mean, the Bible says we should do that. Hebrews chapter 3. The author of Hebrews, in chapter 3 and verse 13, says, But encourage one another daily. So how much more should we do that now when we are under lockdown? We need to encourage each other. Not just those who are, you know, in our house. But those at ECF. We need to be actively... And that means we've got to do it. We can't just think encouragement. We must do encouragement. So Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily. I am reminded of um, a message uh, J.D. and Eileen sent me on Sunday or Monday, a few days ago. It was a picture of, of little Jonah standing in front of the TV. So J.D. and Eileen are watching Bruce Newsham give his sermon. Um, and, and, and Jonah's walking in front of the TV and the photos of him opening up the, the TV cabinet door and playing with his toys and looking back at mom and dad and, and with his big smile on his face. You know, he, was, he wasn't taking the sermon very seriously, right? And that was the joke, and it was just this picture, this, this really funny picture. And I was reminded at that time, just by Eileen and J.D. Sharing that, sharing that photo with me, I had a good laugh, but I was reminded that they are also cooped up, just like, you know, we're sharing in this time together in a sense. And I also was reminded that Jonah was a real joy in their life, and that God blesses us. He blesses us with children. He blesses us with family. He blesses us with a church family. He blesses us with humor. And so we need to take encouragement and be encouraged and encourage others in this time. I mean, remember John 13, where Jesus says, John chapter 13, verse 34, a new command I give you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, Jesus says, so you must love one another. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, 
that you have love one for another. So how are we how are we showing our love for people that are not in our homes right now? Well, this is one way we can do it. Be active in, in communication. Verses, prayers, jokes even. Just it's, it's a time that you can speak into their daily life. And I think it's one of the few things we can do at this moment. I mean, has the, it's very few times in history and very few places where the church has been so confined. There are examples, but... Where the church has been, and certainly we've never experienced this, where we actually can't go and have fellowship with someone. So usually your encouragement would be face to face. We don't have that right now, but it doesn't mean we can't still do it. And of course we can pray for each other. So God now needs to be trusted more than ever. It's difficult to do it. It's, we need to be deliberate about it. But we must remember Psalm 34, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. And then we'll get that peace of God that transcends understanding. And don't forget John 14, 23, where Jesus says that God the Father and God the Son will come to us and make his home with us. Okay, so the second idea is God is everywhere at all times. The first idea was that God is with us. Emmanuel, Jesus is with us in a very real sense and we can take comfort. The second idea is that God is everywhere at all times because he is omnipresent. And we said omnipresent means present everywhere. The official definition, the actual definition of this idea of omnipresence is as follows. God does not have size or spatial dimensions and he's present at every point in space with his whole being. He's, point, he's, he's present everywhere with his whole being, yet he still chooses to act differently in different places and at different times. That's what omnipresent means. So God is the Lord of space. He created space. God created time. He's outside of time. God created space. He created every physical thing. But he also created everything, not just every physical thing. He is outside of time and space. He is outside of the laws of physics. That's why he can perform the supernatural, because everything comes from him. And Deuteronomy 10 verse 14 says it quite nicely. Deuteronomy 10 14, To the Lord your God belong the heavens, even the highest heavens, the earth and everything in it. Everything belongs to God, because God is the creator and sustainer of everything. So here are two truths that we can apply to our lives about God's omnipresence from Scripture. The first is we can take comfort that God is present everywhere. And second, God can't be contained by anything. So these two ideas come up from omnipresence. God is both, and it came out of that definition I just said, God is present everywhere, but he also can't be contained. So let's deal with the first idea, which is God is present everywhere. I go back to Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah 23, verse 23 and 24. The prophet Jeremiah uh, is speaking the words of God and he says, Am I only a God that is nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God that is far away? Can anyone hide in secret places so that I cannot see him? Do not I fill heaven and earth? So that is very clearly showing that we can't escape from God. He is everywhere. 
He fills the heavens and the earths, uh, the heaven and the earth at all times. He is fully present everywhere in a way that we need to be reminded about because we can't see it. I think that David brings this out particularly well in, in Psalm 139. Psalm 139 verse 7 to verse 10. Where can I go from your spirit, David says? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I take my bed into the depths, you are also there. If I rise on wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even your hand there will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. I think that this is a particularly beautiful way of expressing it because if you see in verse 7 and 8, it's almost like David, David is trying to get away from, from God. And he, it's, it's like he's sinned and, is, and he can't get away. And we need to remember that we can't hide our sin from God. Because God is everywhere. He sees everything. We can't run away from God. We can't. But in verses 10, 9 and 10, King David flips it around. And it's very encouraging. He says, if I rise on the wings of dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. So the flip side is, no matter where we go, the Lord is there, no matter where we are, no matter what place and position in life, God is there with his right hand to comfort us. So I thought that that was a, a clever contrast. So in our homes right now, God hasn't left us. When we pray, he listens. With our struggles, he's aware of them. When we ask him for things, he, he listens and he answers. So just to be clear, God's omnipresent is not presence, is not saying that God is in anything or that everything is God. Those two concepts are not scriptural. God is not in the trees. The trees are not God. So that idea is an old pagan belief we call pantheism and it's mirrored today in, in certain religions and belief systems. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that God's creation and God are separate. God is above and beyond, but he is everywhere. So that's the idea. It's a much greater truth than, than, than the idea of pantheism, where God is in all things. So as Paul states in Acts 17, 28, Paul declares, For in him we live and we move and we have our being. As Christians, we live with God. We move and have our being with him with us. So the second idea is, is, the first was that God is everywhere. The second idea is that God cannot be contained in anything. Um, and where, where I think that this is <clears throat> well illustrated is in the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was in the tabernacle when, when the Israelites were, were in the desert with Moses. But then the Ark of the Covenant was also in the temple, in the Holy of Holies, because the temple mirrored the tabernacle. King David and King Solomon built the, the Solomon's temple to replicate the tabernacle, the tent of meeting, from, from, from when Israel, the Israelites, many years before, had been wandering in the desert, and the Lord had told them how they were to worship Him. So we've got this picture of the Ark of the Covenant, and the Ark of the Covenant held the, the, the tablets, the, the stone tablets that had the Ten Commandments, and on top of the Ark of the Covenant, between the two cherubim, is where the presence of the Lord dwelt. So here we have an illustration of where God's presence dealt specifically, but it wasn't contained. So when King Solomon built the temple, he was about to dedicate it in 1 Kings chapter 
chapter 8, and we'll read that now. We'll have a look at that. In 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon built this beautiful, ornate temple. It was massive. It had a huge amount of riches, gold and silver in its creation. It was unparalleled on the, in the world, in its, in its grandeur. And King Solomon had built it. David had started collecting the materials. But remember, the Lord said to David, you are not to build it. Your son is to build it. So King Solomon had now built it, and he brought the Ark of the Covenant into the Holy of Holies which is where, where, where God's presence was to dwell amongst his people. The temple was over that, and the temple was on the mountain of the Lord. And so in 1 Kings chapter 8, when Solomon is dedicating the temple, listen to what he says. Verse 27 of chapter 8, 1 Kings. But will God really dwell on earth? The heavens, even the highest heaven, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Despite how big and how beautiful and how luxurious and how many riches were in this temple and how wise and how powerful King Solomon was amongst men, he realized that it's a strange thing to think that God can dwell on earth. Even the Ark of the Covenant in the temple does not contain God. It's the same today. God cannot be contained. So where does God dwell now? God doesn't dwell in the Holy of Holies. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, the, the curtain separating the rest of the temple from the Holy of Holies was split in half. The temple was, there was an earthquake that split the temple. What, what did this symbolize? That that time was over. God now dwells with us and in us. So when we see this idea of the Holy of Holies and the Ark of the Covenant and God dwelling with his people through the temple and through temple sacrifice, we need to be reminded that it's changed. The new covenant is different. The new covenant in Christ is that his promises to us is he's the Emmanuel. God is in us. He's in heaven and he's in us, but he's also everywhere at all times. Always watching us. We cannot leave him and he hears us immediately. And this is the new covenant, which, in, which, which we maybe also see in Pentecost, where after Jesus rose to heaven, he gave us his Holy Spirit. And it was received by people at the beginning of Acts. We receive the Holy Spirit as well in our hearts when you become a Christian. So God dwells in us in a very real sense. It's a supernatural sense, but it's something that we must taste and see and know is good. And we need to do that today. So how can God's omnipresence be applied in our lives? I'll tell you what one commentator said. I thought it was particularly encouraging. And I quote, The thought that God is everywhere present with his whole being ought to encourage us greatly in prayer, no matter where we are. And the fact that no one place can be said to contain God should also discourage us from thinking that there is some special place of worship that gives people special access to God. He cannot be contained in any one place. So the commentator was getting at the idea that the Holy of Holies was a special place where that's where you met with God primarily. It's not the case anymore. We actually have God in us. And that's why we can cry, Abba, Father. We are a priesthood of believers, Hebrews tells us. The book of Hebrews. Which is an amazing way to, it's a beautiful picture of our relationship with God. We can approach Him. We can, we can pray to Him. He's listening to us. We don't have to go through the priests. We don't have to go through a pastor. We don't have to go through Moses. We don't have to go through the Apostle Paul. We go directly to God. And I think this is brought out very well as well. In, um, in John 
chapter 4. We know the story where Jesus confronts the Samaritan woman at the well. And he says this about worship. He says worship is changing. And he says to the Samaritan woman, she wasn't Jewish, remember, she was Samaritan. And uh, John chapter 4, verse 21. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We, meaning the Jews, we worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and truth. It's a really deep passage. It speaks to us. I'm a Gentile, just like the Samaritan woman. I'm not Jewish. I, I don't have that heritage directly, physically, by my lineage. But I can now worship God wherever I want to. Not on this mountain or that mountain. Jesus is also saying that you don't have to go to the temple. The temple was the mountain in Jerusalem that he was talking about. We don't need to reestablish the temple worship. Because we worship God in spirit and truth both Jew and Gentile, no matter where we are. So that statement to the Samaritan woman is, is speaking to us, that we can meet God in prayer and reading His Word in our very homes. We don't need to be at church. We don't even need to be with other believers. We can meet with God in our living rooms and on our beds and in the kitchen. We can do it wherever we are. Another person that I read in preparing this message said the following, and I quote, <clears throat> the omnipresence of God should serve to remind us that we cannot hide from God when we have sinned. Yet we can return to God in repentance and faith without even having to move. In every place we find ourselves, in every physical place we find ourselves, in every emotional place we find ourselves, in any spiritual place you find yourself, God can meet you right there. We just need to turn our faces towards Him. So it's that idea that we trust Lord, we trust the Lord, we rejoice, we trust, we pray, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. It's beautiful. So, an illustration would be when a thief or tries to commit a crime, they do it in private, right? They don't want to get caught, so they do it in secret. They cover up their tracks, they make sure nobody's looking, but God sees them. Even if the world doesn't, even if the judicial system and the police don't see them, and they may get away with it, they can't get away with it from God. But the same thing is with us Christians. When we wish to do evil, when we wish to commit sin because of our sinful nature and our sinful hearts, we leave prying eyes, don't we? We move into closed and secret spaces. We go into our rooms. We close doors. We make sure no one's around. Maybe that's in our house or in our rooms or or somewhere where we can just get away from the world, where no one is looking, where no one is listening, but God sees it. So God's omnipresence needs to remind us, as it reminded David in that Psalm 139, that there is nowhere he can go to get away from God. Even if somebody's right next to you, you can retire into your heart and into your mind and commit sin. We can have sinful thoughts and sinful, sinful desires and sinful thought patterns and attitudes. But that won't even be witnessed by somebody standing right next to us. But even God can see into our hearts and into our, into our thoughts. 
So where can we flee from God's eyes? The answer is nowhere. And that's part of God's omnipresence. And that's why I think in John chapter, sorry, not John, John's vision in Revelation chapter 1. John's vision of Jesus in Revelation 1 is a beautiful picture of Jesus. This vision of the conquering king coming back to the world to judge. How did John describe Jesus? One way was with eyes that were like blazing fire. That speaks to Jesus' ability to judge and see everything. The perfect judge. So when we worry one day, will, judgment, will, 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 will justice be given on the earth? There's so much unfairness, so much wickedness, so many people have suffered. And often that suffering is caused by, by evil done by people on other people. And, and often it goes unpunished. David brings this up in the Psalms a lot. But we can take comfort in God's omnipresence because he sees everything. And Jesus, the great judge, is a judge who has seen everything and has seen it perfectly. And that's why Jesus is the only person who can really bring justice in the world. And that's what's coming. So, we need to practice trusting God more, practice leaning on him, and read Psalm 34 and Philippians 4 in particular. So, are you discouraged or lonely this morning? Take encouragement in the Emmanuel, in Jesus, who is God with us. Are there others in our community that may be discouraged or lonely? Well, by this shall, you know, shall all men know that you are my disciples, that you love one another. What about Hebrews? We read in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13, be a daily encouragement to one another. Let's pick up ECF, that responsibility. Let's pick it up and let's help others experience and the Emmanuel this morning, to be reminded that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit have taken their home in, in us. We have the supernatural peace of God that transcends all understanding, but we need to lift our eyes to it. We need to practice it. So Psalm 34 verse 8, and I'll close with this. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in Him. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you so much for the truth of your scriptures, where we can take great encouragement with the idea of Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you that it's not just a promise for Christians in the past, but it's a promise for us today, that we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit in us. And that's how we can be effective in being lights in the world. We thank you that your presence is everywhere, that we can't hide from it, Lord. And we thank you that when we do want to commune with you, that we lift our heads no matter where we are, and you're there to listen. I just pray for us as we go into the week, Lord. May we, may, may we take encouragement from this idea that you are everywhere all the time, but you're also in us. And that you can give us a peace which transcends understanding. It's a supernatural peace that guards our hearts and our minds in this time. We thank you very much for your scriptures and we thank you for your salvation in Jesus Christ, for the truth that is the gospel. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.